I love being here with you. You know, I um, grew up like most kids, loving uh, playing tag, right? And uh, you play tag and, you know, kind of before each game, you're supposed to set the rules before the game. And you kids out there that like to change the rules mid-game, it's not cool. It's not kosher. You got to set the rules before the game. What's base going to be, right? Like if you're outside and you're not the first person to count, you may be tempted to say like that wall of the house is base. (laughs) And the person that's it is like, I think I'm getting railroaded here. What's the person that's it going to do? They're going to pick the tree in the middle of the yard, and if possible, a small one, less surface area to touch, right? It's the tree over there, okay. And like the mulch surrounding it, I mean, that gives us like an extra four feet all all sides. Nope, just the tree, okay. There's one base. We are in the book of Genesis, and... uh, Beginning chapter 7 this morning, my original plan was to go through verse 24, and I said, that is not going to happen. So we're going to try to make it through verse 16 today, and we'll see. But as we move into this longer narrative uh, early in Genesis, I want to remind you of what I mentioned last week. So uh, if you didn't catch all the details, don't catch them say you you weren't here last week. You can go online and find that sermon, um, or just hit me up and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. But if you remember the chevron symbol that we looked at last week, uh, or a greater than sign, right? So the idea is this sort of shows the pattern for what uh, theologians would call a chiasm. Um, And it is a way of outlining a story or a narrative or a poem or a, a lot of things, right? So let me just say that. But it's a way of outlining... Um, a point. Often, in this case, it's a story, a narrative, a historical narrative. And so what you see is an A at the top and an A at the bottom. The A at the bottom has an apostrophe. So this would be called a chiasm that shows or is made up of what we would call antithetical parallelism. And essentially what happens is the second half or the bottom half of the story, right? You see the center of the of the uh, symbol, if you will, the, 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 the shape, God remembers Noah. Now, I told you last week that idea of remembers means God brought his attention to or God brought his thoughts to. God doesn't forget anything. Whenever God uses the word in the Bible and Moses here, uh, God remembers or the Lord forgets our sins. What he's communicating in a language like we would change up our verbiage when we communicate with a child, right? When we're talking with a child and we're trying to explain to him, sometimes we just come up to him and we, we kind of stoop down, almost fell off the stage. We kind of st- stoop down like this and we talk to him. And often when we do that, we change our voice, right? Or we change our voice. And we choose words that are going to effectively communicate to that child. That's how God communicates with us. Don't be offended by it. It doesn't, it's not an insult to us. It's a praise to the magnitude and the majesty of who God is. It should lead us to worship him. I don't want to think about God condescending to me. Okay, well then that is a pride issue in your life. But 
Anyway, so, so God stoops to communicate with us. Can you put that slide back up for me there? And so when, when God communicates to us, he says, God remembers Noah in chapter 8, verse 1, the first part of that verse, okay? And the, whole, the whole narrative centers around God's action, particularly God's action there. God remembers Noah. And then as you work your way down through, right, you've got uh, A, B, C, D, E, and then E, D, C, B, A. And each point of the same letter correlates only in the reverse order of what happened, right? So, for example, the Lord, I'm sorry, the flood begins. I'm looking at D. The flood begins. And D on the returning side is that the earth dries up, right? So when the flood begins, the whole earth is covered. To the, over the tops of the mountains, the earth is covered in water. And then if God remembers in the same amount of time that he brought the flood waters, he causes the waters to recede, And so it's just drawing out the main point that God is trying to communicate through his servant Moses, okay? And so today we're looking at points C and D in this pattern of the narrative, all right? Um, So I just want to kind of see see where, want you to see where we are there. But one one of the other things, and I'll mention it probably later on, it'll probably come out several times, but one of the things I want want to ask you to, to, to remember is every Old Testament narrative centers on God, it's important that we know that. It's not just an exercise of remembrance, but when we tell the story of Noah's flood, or Noah's ark, excuse me, right? I'm not taking it. If you call it Noah's ark, fine. Call it Noah's ark. That's what the heading of all your Bibles says probably at some point, right? But it's about God. God told Noah to build an ark, and ultimately, it's God's ark, And I think that's important for us to remember, and so I'm going to repeat it because it bears repeating over and over and over again. If we tell the story, and I did this a little last week, but again, we just have to be cautious with it. If we focus on Noah Noah was righteous, why? Well, because he walked with God. So there's a principle in there for us, right? We're to walk with God. But ultimately, we're to walk with God because Jesus walked with God perfectly. Noah did it imperfectly. All we have to do is get to chapter 9 and 10, and we begin to see it all fall apart for Noah. Noah's still one of God's men, but we see Noah in embarrassing sin not much longer. So let's just remember that it's all about the Lord, okay? Open your Bibles, if you will, Genesis 7, and we'll read verses 1 through uh, 16 together. Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark or, or come into the ark. It, it could be translated go or come. It, it mostly just means enter, all right? But come into the ark, go into the ark, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. So we see male and female here. And seven pairs of birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. So we see the purpose for why. Verse 4, for in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. 
And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, right? some of you are feeling old at 60 65, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the firmament of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind and the livestock according to their kinds. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. God has always provided one way of safety through judgment. Noah waited on God for his invitation or command to go into or come into the ark. Noah's building the ark. There's a point when the ark is complete. And Noah, being a man who walked with the Lord, waited on God for the command. We don't know how long. He waited on God for the command. And by some standards, an ark would be prison-like to some. And what I mean is whenever you go into something where someone else closes the door behind you, right, and not like a handle on the inside, you're not in control of how you're getting out. But to Noah and Noah's wife and their three sons and their wives and all of the animals that God brought to the ark, it was quite a different story. It was quite a different story. It was a place of safety. It was a place of, of rescue, And Noah was with God in his presence in the ark, or maybe better said, God was with Noah with his presence in the ark. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see these pictures of God would send his spirit and pull his spirit back at different times and in different ways. In the New Testament, we understand that the moment somebody repents of their sins and trusts Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit begins to indwell them. Right? God doesn't give and take his spirit in the way that we see him doing that in the Old Testament. Noah's walking with God, right? The word, word all is instructive here for us when we see God says, do, uh, uh, Noah does all that the Lord commands, remembering from last week, right? Noah, verse 22 of chapter 6, Noah did this, he did all that God commanded, right? We see it in verse 5, and Noah did all that God had commanded him. Verse 18, they went in as God commanded him. 
This is the refrain of this season of Noah's life. He did all that God commands him. And I got to tell you, I'm, perplex- I'm, not, I'm not perplexed by that. I'm, I'm convicted by that somewhat. Do I do all the Lord's commands? Do I do all of the Lord's commands immediately? Or at just the right time when God tells me to? Do I do all of God's commands at the time when God tells me to with joy? Do I wait until I understand God's command in such a posture that says, God, I'll obey you, but I need to understand your purposes first? No. God says, go. Abram went. He had no clue other than God would lead him to the right place and provide for him. Do I gauge whether God's ethics make sense to me or God's purposes in the world make sense to me? No, I obey the Lord. I follow the Lord. There's a single point of entry, and it is the only way for refuge, the only way for salvation. It's the only way to escape from the judgment waters of the flood. The only way. And I want to ask if you believe that that is true According to God's word, because a lot of times we say that we believe all of God's word. We believe the whole counsel of God's word. Oak Grove Church, we preach the whole counsel of God's word, most of the time, verse by verse or section by section. If we were to preach Genesis verse by verse, your children who are children now, their children would be here for the end of the series. (laughs) God gives, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. God's patience waits as Noah built the ark. I want you to think about that for a second. You remember as we think about how, how and I'll say this a couple times today, it'll just come out a couple times, but how God is grieved in his heart at the wickedness of mankind, right? Genesis 6, 5 and 6, and the Lord saw man's wickedness in the earth and that all, every intent, intent's the key word, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually or only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And that's where he tells Noah, I'm going to wipe him out. Get ready. I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to wipe him out. I'm going to blot them out. Everyone. Now, I'm just going to ask if we're honest with ourselves, is there a part of ourselves, a part of ourselves, is there a part of us that feels A little bit like maybe God's being a little harsh here. Everyone? Well, why why don't you warn him? Oh, he did. Yeah, he did. Well, why don't you give him a second chance? Oh, he did. He did. You know, parents, grandparents, how it is, your kids, one thing after another, after another, after another. And in our humanness, it's often sinful on our part. We're just like, they're driving me crazy. Can you imagine being perfect? Holy. And watching the murder. The rampant sexuality. Which are sort of categorical statements for just the wickedness and rampant evil that ran amok on the earth. 
God would have been just. Hear me, and I want you to recognize if you question this in your heart. God would have been perfectly just, perfectly right, perfectly wonderfully good right then to kill everybody, including Noah and his family. Perfectly. And the angels would have worshipped God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. The whole earth is full of your glory. No humans on the earth, mind you, because God blotted them out. Wiped them all out. God would have been perfect. Not mean. It would have been the right, which means righteous. It would have been the right thing for God to do. But God has always devised a way, a means of escape for his people. And God gives two warnings. Oh, I'm sorry, not two warnings. He's kind to give warnings, what I meant to say. God doesn't have to give these warnings, but he does. And he warns people, right? He warns people of of what to do, of how to live in relationship with him. Whether by direct command, as we look at it, we look at God's word in the Bible now, but whether it's by direct command, in those days, God revealed himself differently to his people, Hebrews tells us. Right? In the past, God spoke to us, to his people, to the forefathers, through the prophets, and in, in many ways, many kinds of ways. Today, he speaks through his son, Jesus, whom we see in the word of God. And I want you to hear this, friend. Every aspect of God's moral will is revealed to us in the word of God. Right? Every aspect of what we ought to do in our life is morally revealed to us in Scripture as a direct command to do or not to do something or as a principle from which we can derive everything that we need to know about our decision making. So I don't mean he's written out instructions for everything you need to do for your life from that standpoint. But he has written out everything you need to know to honor him in everything you do in your life. He doesn't tell you, for instance, which job to take. But he does tell you that your number one priority is your relationship with God the Father. And if a job, a prospective job, would, would, would uh, cause you to uh, uh, walk out of step with uh, the, your relationship with the Lord, then you need not take that job. But it's a great opportunity. I can reach more people. If it causes you or could cause you or could tempt you to put God in second place, then you have received God's will for whether or not to take a job, marry a person, move to a different location. God's made it clear. God's made it clear that our our family, particularly our immediate family, is to be the second priority in our life. So if, if a job or, I don't know, another circumstance would take you away from 
the responsibility, men, of, of loving leadership in your home. Ladies, of the primacy of being a, a godly wife and a mom, then you know you don't need to take that job or make that commitment. It might not be a job. It might be some way of, of serving other people in the community. God says, we're to serve our families first. We're to love them first. When we can, sometimes circumstances don't permit, but that's what we're to do. Sometimes we have conversations about whether ladies can work inside, outside the home and different things like that. We'd say there's, there's, no, there's no prohibition in Scripture for that. However, your first priority is to your family. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are different ways that that can shake out, and we can have discussions about it. It becomes a wisdom conversation. What's the best way to accomplish God's will for my life most effectively, most faithfully? And we choose the course that propels us toward honoring the Lord in these things. But there's free, There's lots of freedom in a lot of these conversations. Now, some of you don't want there to be freedom. You want everybody to do what your decision was. Well, if God wanted exactly that, he would have laid it out exactly like that. So that's, that's the idea. That's, that's, I don't have time for more examples, but that's sort of the idea that I'm getting at, right? When God looks at the evil intent of mankind, they're wicked to the core. Every intent is only evil all the time. He would have wiped them out. He could have wiped them out right there and been perfectly just. I, I guess I want to ask, if you were to tell a friend that, would you feel like you needed to apologize for God? Or do you have a settled confidence about who God is? How you tell a friend this matters greatly, by the way. But whether or not you feel like you need to make excuses for God says a lot about your confidence in the Lord. Second thing I want to mention is that, that God waited as Noah did all that God commanded. As Noah, as Noah built the ark, God waited. God did not immediately destroy the earth as he would have been right to do. Look how the apostle Peter describes it as God is, has warned his people and is waiting. First Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they did not formally obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Do you see that? God is patiently waiting for the ark to be built. God is patiently waiting. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Notice what Paul says. I love this passage. What Paul says in Romans 3, 21 through 27. This is loaded, so I, I can only draw, make the one point I, I'm, I'm intending to make here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made visible apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or legally declared right by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a, a sin sacrifice or an atonement by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance or in his divine patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. In other words, there's no boasting. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Here's what he's saying. He's saying everyone has fallen short of the glories of God. The Jews, the Gentile. There's no distinction. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And God, in his patience, in his forbearance, passed over sins previously committed. In other words... Even though faith in God's command, faith in God's promises in the time of Noah or in the time of Adam and Eve to choose not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they didn't do, God would have credited them righteousness through that act. However, as sinful people, sin is ultimately only paid through the death of Jesus Christ. And so as God waited patiently as Noah acted in righteous faith by building the ark, so God acted patiently as he waited and waited for thousands of years for his rebellious people who would go through this very elaborate sacrificial system, system of purification to demonstrate to them over and over and over and over and over again how sinful they were and how holy God was. And in all of that, God waited for Jesus who paid the penalty for sin. Past, present, and future. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for Adam's sin. He paid the penalty for Noah's sin. He paid the penalty for Abraham's sin. And God waited patiently. Oh, we got to just stop right now and worship. Because I don't know about you, but I know about my life. I know about my life. I know about the ways God has waited patiently. For me. Look what Jesus says about it. And he's referencing Noah and looking to the coming judgment in the future. And he says in Luke 17, 20 through 27, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered him. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the apostles, the, apostles, the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of these days of the Son of Man. You will not see it. And they'll say to you, look there, or look here. Don't go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so the Son of Man will be in his day. In other words, if you have eyes to see, you can't not see it. You can't miss it. 
On the flip side, there are some who do not have eyes to see. And it will not matter how bright the lightning makes the sky. What lightning? As the lightning lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be on his day. But he must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. What patience. What love. John 1, we just don't even have time. Read John 1 this afternoon after the picnic. They were eating and drinking. So they will say in the, in the days of the Son of Man, they were eating and they were drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Skipping down to verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Are you trying to live to lose your life so that you'll gain it in eternity? Or are you trying to keep what you have now? Because I, I promise on the authority of God's word, you'll lose it in eternity. But do you see how he just brings in what happens in Noah's day right there? Until the day when Noah entered the ark and then the flood came. There will be a moment when God's patience is finished and he says, that's it, I'm closing the door. Uh, I knew he was building something big, God. But I didn't know you were going to actually close the door. That sounds like a personal problem. I'm making, saying it jestfully, but there is nothing funny about it. Have you ever been in a situation where something happens and all of a sudden you can feel your heart either in your throat or just feel like your chest sinks and dread, terror is upon you? And you're just... You don't have words except for fear or a realization that something awful is happening. Friends, that day is coming for those who are refusing to follow Jesus. Right now, the door is open. So who do we need to warn? Who do we need to warn and say, come to the ark of Jesus? Noah obediently, he gathers his family and all the animals that God commanded him on the ark. Right? And so God tells him, hey, these are the ones you shall take with you. How'd they get to him? Is anything too hard for God? He made them. What did he do? Well, he put some sort of little God GPS system. They migrate. They migrate right now. We see them. Animals migrate. So they migrated to the ark. How? God told them to. Well, how can you prove that? You have to believe it. You have to believe it. Two by two they went. Some animals, there were more than just one pair. Right? Some will say, oh, the Bibles. There's a discrepancy in the Bible. No, there's not. God gave the general idea. Hey, we're going to take them two by two. That's how it's going to go. Why? Well, because we need male and female, because that's the only way you can repopulate a population, male and female. And we're going to repopulate this thing afterward. So that's how we're going to do that. Oh, and we're going to take extra sets, seven sets of these and seven sets of these. Why? So that you can worship me the right way afterward. So that you can make a 
an altar so you can sacrifice animals to me in worship, which we'll get to. Well, I have it in my notes. I guess we're getting it to it now. Genesis 8.20, then Noah built an altar. This is after the waters recede, and they're on the top of Mount Ararat. Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings to the Lord. I can't go any further than that, except to say the Lord smelled this pleasing aroma. He has a very different sense system than we do. But what he smelt, what he sensed was worshipful. And therefore, it was beautiful. Past redemption history shows us that uh, God's warnings and judgments always come true. I don't have time to go into the details of these verses, but we remember in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God said, if you do this, you're going to die. What'd they do? Well, they did it. They didn't die immediately, physically, but they died spiritually immediately. But Genesis 4, or Genesis Oh, I put the wrong verse here. That's okay. Adam died. (laughs) That's what I'm getting at. Adam died. What about those living in the days of Noah? God gave a warning. I'm going to blot out everyone whom I've created in Genesis 6, 7. We read it last week and then today. For in seven days, I'll send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have ever made. Some, Some will argue that it was just located to that region. And I think, and I don't have time for it, but I think there's sufficient biblical evidence, there's sufficient historical evidence that it was the whole earth. Every living thing that I have ever made. That is a lot of specificity for somebody who's just wanting to generalize. Every living thing that I have ever made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Who didn't go? After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Second main point of the message is that the Lord shut him in. God is at the center of it all, friends. He's at the center of it all. I'm not going to read the passage right now for the sake of time, but Noah's Ark is the true narrative about God's work in redemptive history. And when I say redemptive history, I'm referring to the fact that uh, it's an account of how God devised a plan and is carrying out a plan to save a people unto himself, a people who don't deserve to be saved. And so sometimes we ask questions like, well, how come they're a Christian and they're not a Christian? I have no idea. How come I'm a Christian? How come I get to be a pastor? I have no idea other than it's God's plan. And I'm thankful for it and I'll worship him for it. Give my life to him for it. Very imperfectly, mind you. Well, how come they're not saved? I don't know, but if I could do anything, Paul said, if I could could give up my salvation, essentially, for the sake of my brothers to be able to know the Lord, I would. But I can't. I can't. Parents, be sure. Grandparents, be sure that your kids know that every story in the Word of God is about God. It involves other characters, yes. But it's about the main character, God. Right? So he tells us here, uh, God brings water on the earth in keeping with his promise. God says in Genesis 6, 17, I will bring a flood. Well, what happens? God brought a flood of waters. You think it's hard to wait for a week? A month, a year. This is over a hundred years of preparation, waiting for God to see if he was going to keep the promise he made. My relationship is struggling. My marriage is struggling. I don't think I can do this anymore. How long have you been married? Three years? Six months? I've heard it. 
20 years? 45 years? Walk in faith. Trust God's promises. Keep his word. The windows of heaven were open. Remember the firmament we talked about in Genesis 1-7? It's just like God was holding it all there. And then God just, it's like he just pulled the tablecloth off. Pulled the invisible tablecloth out from under the firmament. And a deluge like no one has ever seen before nor will ever see again. And the fountains of the great deep were broken up and water came up from the earth. Forty days and forty nights. I'm not talking about a dripping rain that goes from, man, it's raining really hard today to, well, this afternoon it's going to lighten up and it's still raining and you better put a coat on, but you can go to the mailbox. No, no, we're talking water from the heavens, water from the ground, filling the earth. And I don't mean to be insensitive. People are drowning. Very quickly, people are drowning. Animals are drowning. Brothers and sisters, God is judging the whole world. Can you imagine being on the ark and hearing the screams? Would you dare wait to hear the screams from your friends or your family who will one day be in an eternal lake of fire? Or will you show them the way today? I don't know how to say this any more clearly. Life is not about your job. Your job is a means to an end to glorify God. If you're working your job because you're in a certain status or in a certain position and it makes you feel good about yourself, you need to quit your job or repent and say, God, I'm in this job. I'm finding my value in this job and I need to find my value in you. I repent. Don't try to do better. Don't stop right now. Don't try to do better. Repent. Put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self. Man, Pastor Matt, you got to be in your bonnet today. That's because judgment is coming. And if you're not following God and you're not walking obedient to the Lord, you're going to be swept away in a lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not for five minutes, not for five days, not for five months, not for five years, but not for millions of years, for eternity. There is one thing that we are on this planet for. And that is to bring glory to God by casting as wide of a net as we can to say, friends, here's the ark and his name is Jesus. There's one door. No, you're on the wrong side. Well, I need to test it out first. No, you don't have time to test it out. Get around over here and get through the door. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. I know people, friends. Twenty-five years later, 
friends who are still saying, yeah, I just, yeah, I really just got to study it more. How much studying have you done? Well, it's been busy. You're going to die. The Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. Friend, when you are in Christ, the Lord has shut you in. And in the same way, now, some of you don't believe what I'm about to say, but in the same way that God saved you by his grace, God Remember, it's his story. We'll keep you by his grace. Because if you can lose your salvation, then you can earn your salvation. For it is by grace you have been saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Why Paul said, I boast in my weakness. Because for some, this is a paraphrase, by the way, for some crazy reason I don't understand, when I'm weak, God shows up. Like when I just let go of trying to do everything on my own, and I say, God, I, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to obey you. I don't know how it's going to work. God shows up and it works. I have no idea how, so I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Let's go. I'm pretty sure that that's what that means in Greek. You can laugh at that. God kept the door open until the last possible minute, but there came a time when the door needed to shut. And there will come a time when God will send his son and judgment will come upon this world. Well, what's that all going to look like? We're not here to answer that now. At the end of the day, we have our theories a lot of which are pretty biblically informed. What matters is that it will happen. God said, I'm going to bring the rain. Guess what happened? The rain comes. That ought to teach us something. It's the reason we discipline our children. We're not punishing our children. Punishment is punitive. It's to bring a sentence. Discipline is a word for instruction, for training. We train our kids with light to moderate pain for a brief moment, right? Spanking is very out anymore. But we train our kids because God says discipline's always in. We train our kids according to the ways of the Lord. And it changes as they get older. Just take away a tablet. That's all you need to know. <laughs> the ark was salvation for Noah, but it was condemnation for the world. Hebrews tells us that there were no second chances once the door closed. When God makes you safe from judgment, you're safe, friend. Now, if you just say that you're safe, 
but the Spirit's not at work in you, well, then you're very much not safe if you are not in Christ. Religion is not an ark that saves. Church attendance is not an ark that saves. Iowa nice is not an ark that saves. Jesus is an ark who saves. God has always provided one means of salvation, one way of safety from the coming judgment. Remember the Passover? Just a, a quick word. Remember the Passover? Make a sacrifice. Paint the blood over your door. It's the only way. Not a, not a sign. Not a snack. Blood over the doorposts. Noah didn't shut the door because Noah didn't cl- close the time where the opportunity for salvation was still there. You and I, we don't ever choose that time. You don't know how many times I've talked to them about the gospel. Keep telling them about the gospel. Because we don't close the door. We don't make the determination. God does. And until the day when God closes the door, which we don't know in the hearts of men, we keep loving people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We carry the message lovingly. We carry it winsomely to reach those who need the gospel, teaching them the truth about who God is, what God wants for them. And we do so also by living as wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, you know, your life is the only word they need to see or the only gospel they need to see. I completely disagree with that, but it does affirm the words that we say. Because it's the word of God that brings change in the lives of people. Words. We need to speak words. We need to read words. We also need to validate it through our lifestyle. To close, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only door to the Father. He is the only way, and today the door is open. If you haven't walked through the door in faith, today is the day you want to do it, friend, because you might not have next week. You might not have dinner tonight. Today's the day. As soon as they got off the ark, they built an altar and they worshiped God. That's the same purpose we celebrate the Lord's Supper for. They worshiped God because God brought them safely through the judgment waters. And they continued these sacrifices because it reminded them. God didn't just like incense. It reminded them that they need to keep their eyes looking at what is not visible, what is unseen. Paul says what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And so God gives us a a, a temporary reminder of that which is an eternal reality. And we worship today in this way.